Face it, shaker bottles suck. Your protein shake always comes out clumpy and you look like an idiot using the thing. That's why I decided to ditch my shaker bottle for good and get myself a Blendjet 2 portable blender. It makes perfectly blended protein shakes that come out smooth, creamy, and delicious in just 20 seconds. So go to blendjet.com and use promo code DCASTPOD at checkout to get 12% off your order. That's promo code DCASTPOD to get 12% off your order at checkout. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language, but just didn't have the time or money? I may have a solution for you. Her name is Jessica, and she gives free Chinese lessons daily at 11 p.m. Beijing time and 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Chinese is fun and easy if you have the right teacher. Let Jessica be that teacher and introduce yourself to the fastest growing language in the international job market today at tinyurl.com backslash tcjessica and tell her Ian sent you. Hello and welcome to the DeathCast. I'm your host, author and journalist Ian Totten. I'd like to thank you for joining me as we prepare to take our sixth look at the West Memphis Three. Before we get into this week's part of the case, as always, there are a few ways you can support the show. First and foremost, you can go to your favorite podcast website, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. Other ways you can help support the show, you can go to buymeacoffee.com backslash the deathcast and make a donation to the show. Lastly, you can go to tinyurl.com backslash decast patreon and you can become a Patreon member for as little as $2 a month. Get access to exclusive show content, early release episodes with the ads removed, and it's an easy way to help support the show on a regular basis. All right, now that all of that is out of the way, if the sound is off over the next few weeks, I apologize. I am currently on the road and am in New Mexico, so I don't have my complete normal setup. With all that said, get yourself something to drink, find a nice comfy chair, kick back, relax. I've got my coffee, I've got my cigarettes, let's go into the crypt. We left off last week, we were discussing Dominique Tear and how her statements to police although having small inconsistencies, have remained largely unchanged up until today. We had also been going over various statements made by various witnesses and others in and around the West Memphis community. We're going to be continuing that this week. We're going to actually be talking about one of the biggest smoking guns in this case, one that is often overlooked or outright dismissed by the West Memphis Three supporters, and that is the statements given to police by Buddy Sidney Lucas. In 1993, Lucas was a 19-year-old who was working as a landscaper. He came to the attention of the police after relatives of his contacted the West Memphis Police Department and informed them that Lucas was talking as though he knew something about the crimes. 
Now, I want you to keep in mind that these statements that Lucas is going to give actually come about after the arrest of Eccles, Baldwin, and Miss Kelly. But I am getting them out there before I discuss everything that ends up happening with Miss Kelly because they are such an forgotten part of this case. Now, according to these relatives who contacted the police, Lucas had a pair of shoes that had blood on them. So on June 10th, Brian Ridge went to Lakeshore to meet with Lucas and his mother, Mary Hudson. According to Lucas, on this date, he stated that he had received a pair of blue and white Adidas from Jesse Miss Kelly in February when he and Miss Kelly, along with an individual by the name of Billy McGee, were riding a four-wheeler together. Lucas stated at this time that his shoes had gotten muddy in the bean field that was next to the Highland Trailer Park. Now, police immediately were suspicious of this statement as in his confession on June 3rd that we will be getting to either this episode or the next, Miss Kelly stated that he had, in fact, loaned a pair of shoes to Lucas on the day after the killings. During this initial interview with police, Lucas stated that although he and Miss Kelly were friends, he had not seen Miss Kelly, quote, a long time, before describing Miss Kelly as someone who liked to fight and extremely strong. About Eccles, Lucas said that Although he knew him from school, they were not very friendly. And eventually, he stated that if Miss Kelly was hanging out with individuals like Baldwin and Eccles, it would not have been inconceivable that Eccles and Baldwin had been able to convince him to do anything. Lucas also stated that Miss Kelly liked to huff gasoline and smoke weed and that Miss Kelly was extremely suggestible when he was under the influence. Eventually, Lucas surrenders these shoes to Officer Ridge. Now, the police knew that something wasn't jibing with what Lucas was telling them, so they went through the normal procedures. He was fingerprinted, there numerous reports were written up, all of which are on the uh, mysite.callahan website. Eventually, the police returned to talk with Lucas. This was some months later in October. We know that they talked to him for a period on October 8th, and again on October 14th. This is when they actually got a taped statement with him. Quoting Lucas, we decided to take Jesse and them some chicken and everything, so me and my cousin Rex went over there, took them some chicken and everything. I asked them, where's little Jesse and everything? He, Big Jesse, said that um, he went walking that way and everything, and we looked out the door and he was walking off with somebody else. Lucas then informs the officers that Miss Kelly was actually walking in the direction of Miss Kelly. He says he and Rex stayed and talked with Jesse Sr. for a little while before leaving and going back to the barbecue, and they ate around 9 o'clock that evening. 
Lucas states that the next day he went back to Jesse's house early in the morning, and by his own words, it was around 9 o'clock. I'm going to be quoting here from the transcript of this conversation with the officers. Lucas, so we went, I went there and I knock on the door about three or four times. He was still in bed, so I got ready to leave and he opened the door and everything. Ridge, okay, was Big Jesse there? Lucas, no sir, he was at work. Ridge, okay, okay. Lucas, okay, so I wanted to go in and Jesse said, no man, let's stay out here on the porch and we'll uh, talk and everything. Okay, just talk. Ridge, okay, he didn't want you to leave? Lucas, uh, sir? Ridge, he didn't want you to leave right then, he wanted you to talk? Lucas, yeah. Ridge, okay. Lucas, inaudible. Ridge, okay, so what was the conversation? Lucas, while well, just been talking about some of his friends, my friends and other stuff that's going on, I saw inaudible. He started breaking out in a sweat and everything. At that time, I didn't know he had anything to do with these kids. Ridge, okay, but tell me what just that conversation, what happened in that conversation. Lucas, we was, uh, was talking about going over uh, Bobby Dollar's wife's house to get my hair cut because she cut little hair now and then. Ridge, okay. Lucas, so I was going to go over there, so I said, let's go over, see about getting her to cut my hair. We went over there, she cut my hair. He sat there and played the Nintendo with her little boys. Ridge, okay. Lucas and everything, because he used to, he cleaned up her house, watches her kids for her. So we left, we went back to his house. I started, I told him, man, uh, thanks for going over uh, Bobby's wife's with me and everything to get my hair cut. I'm going to holler at you later. He said, no, man, I got to tell you something and everything, and he was breaking out in a sweat. Ridge, you said something about his eyes when he talked earlier. What was it about his eyes? Lucas, they, they had water dropping from them. Ridge, he had been crying? Lucas, uh-huh, something like that. Ridge, that's just what you thought? Lucas, uh-huh. Ridge, did he tell you he had been crying? Lucas, uh-uh. Ridge, okay, so what happens when he tells you he has to tell you something? Lucas, so we sit there, sit there, and I said... He said, man, me, Jason, and Damien, we went walking last night in the town of West Memphis. I said, didn't y'all come by and get me? We will. Uh, we were in a hurry and everything. Go up there and come back home. I said, all right, I understand. Inaudible. Now, since I found out, I'm kind of glad he didn't come by and get me. Ridge, okay, what did he tell you he do? Lucas, we, he told me that, uh, that he got in a fight. That's what he told me at first. Ridge, okay. Lucas, I said, Damien and Jason, they helped you? He said, um, yeah, and everything. So I said, well, did you all hurt anybody? And he said, yeah, I didn't think it was those eight-year-old kids or anything. So I turn around and come to find out that Jason, he was with Jason and Damien when they sacrificed them little kids. I was, come and tell y'all. So he basically, he's stating that he didn't realize that Jesse had been involved in the murder of the boys at this point, although had he known that, he would have gone immediately to the police. Before kind of getting off track and stating that Jesse told him that he would go to the police himself and that it wasn't until 
June 4th when Miss Kelly and company were arrested and he read the paper that he realized that Jesse actually had been true to his word and gone to talk to the police. Then Lucas gets back on track when Ridge asks him when it was that he went to the house, if it was Wednesday or Thursday, and Lucas states that it was the Wednesday after the murders had taken place and that Jesse told him that he was in some trouble. Quote, Lucas, that he really, he said, um, we heard him. Uh, we heard a couple of boys that Jason and Damien killed. Ridge, okay. Lucas, couple, I said, you was involved? He said, yeah. I said, what did you do? I finally got it talked out of him what he did do. He said, I hit uh, a couple in the back of the head. Ridge, okay. And Lucas, and everything to keep them from running and everything. Ridge, and that's what he told you? Lucas, yes, sir. Ridge, and this is on Thursday morning. Lucas, uh-huh. Ridge, okay. Lucas, the two shoes he gave me and everything. Ridge, did he give you some shoes on that Thursday morning? Lucas, uh-huh. Ridge, okay, and describe to me how he gave you those shoes. Lucas, he, he picked up and started to hand them to me. All of a sudden, he dropped them and broke out in sweat, crying, everything else. He said, man, take these shoes. I don't want to see them no more. I said, you sure, and everything. I don't remember seeing those shoes at his house. He said, I said, are these yours? He said, yeah. So I said, he said, take them. I don't want to see them no more. I said, are you sure you want me to take them? And he said, yeah, and everything. So there wasn't nothing on the shoes and everything. So turn around, he going. I got the shoes. I went home and everything. Ridge, after you got the shoes, did he say what he did exactly to you about those shoes? Lucas, that he didn't want to see them anymore, and Ridge, okay. Lucas, and everything, he didn't want to have nothing to do with them shoes. Ridge, that's what he told you? Lucas, uh-huh. Ridge, okay, do you have those shoes? Lucas, they're up there where I'm living at now. I'll give them to you as soon as I get there. Ridge, that's an earl? Lucas, uh-huh. Ridge, okay, describe those shoes for me. Lucas, they're white and a black soles on them. Ridge, okay. Lucas, and I think they're converse. I'm not sure. Like I told him, I'm not sure. Lucas goes on to inform the police that he'd worn the shoes a couple of times and that another individual by the name of Robert was currently wearing them. When pressed about why he did not come forward to the police, Lucas stated that he was afraid that if he went forward to the police, they might in turn lock him up for possible participation in the crime. He also stated that he was fearful of Miss Kelly and that if he had gone to the police, Miss Kelly would have had someone hurt him. Lucas was given a polygraph examination that consisted of nine questions. He answered no to, on Thursday, May 6, 1993, did Jesse and Miss Kelly give you a pair of tennis shoes? This examination indicated that there was deception. He also answered no to, did Jesse and Miss Kelly tell you that Damian Jason killed those boys? The examination indicated deception. Where were you when those three boys were killed? He answered no, and this indicated that Lucas was telling the truth. To explain away the answers that he had not been truthful of, Lucas stated that he was fearful of what might happen to his family. Later, 
Investigators talked to another relative of Lucas's who stated that Lucas was fearful of being pulled further into the investigation. They also heard that Lucas may not have been home on the night of the killings, and from one co-worker that Lucas had been talking about the homicides in a manner that suggested to this co-worker that he, Lucas, may know something about the murders. The supporters of the West Memphis Three like to throw out the fact that Lucas didn't testify at the case, which meant that there was no credibility to his story. However, a private investigator that was tied to Damien Eccles' defense by the name of Ron Lax is very well known in this case for having scared off potential witnesses uh, through really just underhanded means and intimidation. There's also the fact that according to later statements from Lucas, he did not want anything to do with the case because the police had frightened and intimidated him. The defense also decided not to call him because they felt that his testimony and the statement that he had given to police might be used to impeach the statements of both Lucas and others. Another statement we get is from DeQuinta Dunham, who told the police that her son, William Winford Jones, quote, heard Damien stating that he pulled a fast one of the police and has been telling kids at Lakeshore that if they mess with him, he would do the same thing to them that he did to the three little boys. Jones himself told the police that Damien told him that he killed those boys and the police could not catch him, that we, the police will end up like those boys. He later told him he didn't kill them. He stated Damien is a devil worshiper and is, he is dangerous and that he, William Jones, is afraid of Damien. In another interview with Jones on May 26th, Ridge interviewed Jones in a rather aggressive manner and according to Jones, he, Eccles, and Tear were hanging out at Lakeshore when Eccles, who had been drinking, began talking about the homicides. Jones said he knew Eccles going back to the seventh grade, stating, quote, first he wasn't weird or nothing, but now he's gotten into that satanic cult stuff. In the police report, Damien stated to William that he killed the boys and that he had sex with them in the butt. He further stated that Damien told him that he used a knife and described the knife used as being about 8 to 10 inches long. Asked where this conversation took place, Jones said it was on Store Street in Lakeshore where we were talking in that little park up there and it was like everybody in Lakeshore heard it. Damien had did it and he got questioned and everything so when I was his friend or used to be a friend so I asked him everyone want me to ask him so I asked him and he said that he cut them and that you know he had sex with them molested them and he was real drunk real drunk Jones stated that the conversation happened between midnight and 12:30 a.m. Jones stated that Eccles further said that he had raped the boys before saying that he had used a little knife on them. Quote, he stopped there and after he told me that, I freaked out. I talked to him a few more minutes and I left and went back to my aunt's house and told her. Jones said that there had been threats to his cousin's girlfriend and Eccles, quote unquote, threatened to cut their vaginas off or something like that. That's what they told me. 
He also stated that Eccles asked him about the night when they were drinking and that Jones had to remind Damien what he had said and that Damien had informed him that none of that was true and had, in fact, only said those things because he had been really drunk. He stated he didn't believe Eccles when Eccles said that he had made the story up as, in his experience, people who get drunk more often than not tell the truth stating that when talking about the killings, Eccles was excited or something. He described Domini as really weird and that she talks to herself when asked who Jones thought could have helped Eccles commit the crimes, Jones stated, I think it would be Jason Baldwin because, you know, they are always together. Ever since this has happened, they kind of stay away from each other. This was roughly an 11-minute interview, and Jones did continue to talk with the police and prosecutors after the arrest. As with other individuals in this case, after meeting Ron Lax, Jones recanted his story, stating that he had been lying. This was such a big deal that there was actually a hearing over Ron Lax and his methods with Prosecutor Fogelman telling the court, There's some information to indicate that this Lax may be intimidating witnesses, and frankly, I have never had this come up in a trial. In the other case, we have a videotaped statement of a guy who, after giving his statement, after he came out, the only concern he expressed to me was a fear of Jesse and his friends, and then I went. I seek to talk to him further. All of a sudden, the police department gets a telephone call from Ron Lax saying, This guy will not be coming in at that time that his witness decided he needs a lawyer and then recants his statement that he's given the police. Fogelman further went on to state, I have never had a case where I've had this kind of stuff happen with witnesses that I have this with. So basically, Ron Lax and other individuals, once the arrests were made, started approaching witnesses and basically badgering and or threatening them into recanting their statements in an effort to destroy the prosecution's case. Keep in mind, Ron Lax was not an official part of this case, but we'll get to him more later. Another witness is Ken Watkins, who had transferred to the Marion School District in February. He was first tracked down on September 16th of 1993 and gave a statement that started at 11:12 a.m. in the presence of his mother, his sister, and Detective Durham, who would also give Watkins a polygraph examination. Watkins stated, I skipped school with Domini to meet Damien to go to his counselor with him, but Damien didn't show up, so me, Domini, and Domini's mom watched TV until about 3.30 when Damien finally showed up. Then after that, we stayed there for a few minutes and went to Jason's house to get Jason. This contradicts the statements given by Domini and her mother, who said that Damien had in fact shown up earlier, and that Jason came over to Domini's house as opposed to them going to find Jason. He further goes on to state, Then I went home to check in and tell them that I was going to leave and go to Walmart with Damien and Jason. We went to Walmart to play some video games, and LG came to Walmart. 
Then we went back inside Walmart to get away from him. Then I left about 5.30 to go home to babysit and eat, and then they came back around 7, and I went over early and played Nintendo. Watkins was an individual who tried to give Jason a alibi for the evening of May 5th. The problem is, as you can already tell, he left out a very crucial part of Jason's story, which all concerned parties, with the exception of Jesse Miss Kelly, have attested to having actually happened, that being Jason going over and mowing his uncle's lawn. Although he did eventually state that Jason did mow the lawn, but it wasn't until that Saturday or Sunday that this took place. He says that after leaving Walmart, Watkins went babysat for his uncle who had preschool aged children then they had dinner then he went over to baldwin's house and they had still not returned so he went back a little while later and jason and everyone was there and they were playing video games he said quote i left about 6 30 when i went over there and ridge asks when did you go back home? To which Watkins says, quote, Yeah, for about 15 or 20 minutes. Then I went back over there and they were home. Just his mom's boyfriend, Dink, I think it was his name. I'm not sure. Then Damien, Jason, all of them were over there. Damien, Jason, Dominie, and me. And it's important to point out that nobody else ever placed any of them at Jason Baldwin's house at this point at night. Watkins stated that he left between 9 and 10 before clarifying it was nine because Bonanza was on. I went home, watched a little Bonanza, then goofed off on the couch. He stated that Jason told him, quote, he didn't do it and he didn't know why he was a suspect and that he had never even heard of Jesse Miss Kelly. Watkins was given a polygraph examination when asked, are you involved in any way in the murder of those three young boys, he answered no, and deception was indicated. He also answered no to, has anyone told you that they were involved in the murder of those three young boys? Again, there was deception. He was truthful when answering no to, were you present when those three boys were killed? And upon being confronted about the answers he was given, Watkins basically told the cops that he felt involved because he didn't tell the police what Eccles told him. Watkins stated that on Friday, May 7th, Eccles told him he was there with two others when the boys were killed. He said, quote, Friday we were walking, me and Damien, about four to get Dominie. Ridge, okay, you were walking from Watkins, Lakeshore, because we had to go to get, yeah, Ridge, and where were you going? Watkins, Walmart. Then we walked on the over pass which Damien and Dominique said that he was there and a couple of other friends a few people Ridge now what's he talking about when he says he was there Watkins he said that he knows who killed the little kids because he was there with a couple of people and I started talking about something else Ridge you mentioned a few minutes ago that Damien said he wanted to be a part of a group or had been being picked on when did that conversation come up Watkins, it was before that conversation came up because everybody was picking on him and laughing at him and all that and talked about him. And he said he wanted to do something that no one would pick on him or talk about him or anything. He wanted to do something. Ridge used the word drastic while ago. Watkins, yeah, drastic. Ridge, 
What were his words? Watkins. He wanted to do something drastic so what no one would talk about or, you know, tease him. Then we got in that conversation when he said that he was there and he know who done it. Ridge. Okay, the conversation where he says people were talking about him. People were picking on him and he wanted to do something drastic so that they wouldn't do that anymore. Where were you at when that conversation took place? Watkins. On the bridge. On the overpass. Going to Walmart. Ridge, okay, he said he wanted to belong to a cult. Watkins, he said he wanted to belong to something. Ridge, wanted to belong to something. All right, was something said about a cult? Watkins, nuh-uh. Then a few days later, I was talking to a girlfriend of mine. She said that he used to be in a cult, but he got out of it. I guess he wanted to join again. Ridge, okay, about what time was it? You were on the overpass, and he told you he was there when the boys were killed. Watkins, about four. We went to Walmart and got Dominique and came back. Ridge, Friday you were walking from Lakeshore to Walmart with Damien, and he tells you that he's tired of being picked on and that he had done something drastic, and then a few minutes later, he tells you that he was there with a couple of buddies when Watkins, when it happened. Ridge, when it happened. He's talking about the murders. Watkins, the murders. Ridge, is that what he said? Watkins, he said, I was there when the three little kids got killed. That's what he told me. They gave Watkins another polygraph test, and he was asked four questions concerning the case. Did Damien tell you how any of those three young boys were killed? Watkins said no. No deception was detected. Did Damien tell you that he was there when those three bo young boys were killed? Watkins said yes. No deception. However, deception was present when he was asked, did Damien tell you who all were present when those boys were killed, and did Damien tell you who killed those three young boys? It's just my personal opinion. I think that this, some of these conversations may have taken place. However, I believe it more likely than not that Watkins learned something, and because he considered Jason really his only friend in the area, he wanted to go out of his way and try and help Jason to get out of it, and he was willing to throw Damien Eccles under the bus in order to do it. Watkins gave a second statement where he described May 6th, stating, I went to school, Jason went to school all day until we got home from school. Then we all, we were all sitting over at Damien's waiting for Jason at his house. Then me, then uh, Carl came over. Ridge, you say Carl? Carl who? Watkins, Smith, right across the road. Ridge, from Jason? Watkins, yeah, and we were sitting there listening to some music and playing Nintendo, some of it. Then Jason's mom calls and says that three kids have been murdered and uh, behind the woods back there, behind the trailer park. Then none of us believed it. Well, I didn't. Carl didn't. Ridge, what did Damien have to say about that? Watkins, Damien didn't say nothing. He was just sitting there being quiet. Ridge, so when his mother called, when Jason's mother called and Damien heard the news that three boys had been killed, did he react at all? Watkins, he just sat back there and just did nothing. According to Watkins, Baldwin took the phone call and informed the rest of those present. He stated that Baldwin was, quote, going crazy, like, oh my god, and all that, like he couldn't believe it. Ridge, or was he scared? Watkins, well, I don't know if he was scared. Either one, he just got scared. Ridge, now you mentioned when I tape was brought into the sh house. When does that occur? Watkins. Carl brought next door to his house 
they got a tape and he came back and me and him went in there to put it on and Damien and Jason went in the living room to talk. Ridge, okay, and when you came out of the bedroom, Watkins, they stopped talking and started talking about something else. Ridge, so they were obviously talking about something they didn't want you to hear? Watkins, yeah. Watkins then talked about May 5th, stating that when he left Walmart, Damien and Dominique told them that they were going to the bowling alley. And really the only part of his story that has panned out is that Dink Dent, who was Jason's mother's boyfriend at the time, did state that Ken Watkins did show up at the Baldwin house around 6.45 on the night of the 5th. Ken Watkins ended up taking two polygraph examinations, and both of them indicated that Damien Eccles had told him something pertaining to the murders and Damien's involvement in them. As with the other individuals I've discussed, Ken Watkins recanted his story after being paid a visit from Ron Lax. So there we have some of the major statements from witnesses. Another aspect of this case that is often pointed to when discussing the guilt or innocence of the West Memphis Three is the occult angle. As discussed in previous episodes, Jerry Driver and one of his subordinates in the juvenile court system had brought Damien Eccles to the attention of law enforcement not only because of the things that Eccles had been involved in, the things that he had said, but also because they got a sense upon seeing the crime scene on May 6th that there might be some occult involvement in this. And Damien Eccles was open about his involvement in the occult. Supporters really dismiss the idea that Eccles was involved in the occult rather painting it that this was entirely a case of the police targeting an outsider, and that this was really a witch hunt, that they were targeting this supposed satanic team based upon their religious convictions. As we have discussed in prior episodes, the idea of a satanic or occult background to these crimes really did not arise until after the arrests. Yes, the idea was there among certain members of law enforcement, but this was not an idea that they pushed or made public. It wasn't until the arrests occurred and more information about Damien Eccles became publicly available that the idea that there was some form of occult background to these murders really took hold in the public consciousness. And this wasn't as it had been in the 1980s when we had the satanic panic targeting preschools and things of that nature. This was a much more low-key acknowledgement that it was very probable that some form of occult influence was present in these crimes. 
yes, the West Memphis Police Department did contact Dr. Dale Griffiths to get his take on what they had on the crimes. If you don't know who Dr. Dale Griffiths is, he's a rather controversial figure, not only in the West Memphis 3 case, but in law enforcement in general. In fact, my friend Ed Opperman did a number of interviews with Dale Griffiths that you can find at the Opperman Reports page on Spreaker, but also in the Opperman Reports archives on Patreon. Griffiths really can't, you can't verify anything that he says. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I haven't looked into him in a very long time, and I haven't looked into him much for this case. His degree, his doctorate, came from like a mail-order school of some description. He was a member of law enforcement, but his credentials are somewhat sketchy. And you also have to take into account that his mindset was a product of his time, i.e. he went through being a police officer during the satanic panic. And I'm sure this helped shape his worldview and also helped shape how he saw different aspects of crime. And it's unfortunate that he was involved in this case because he does give credibility to the idea that there was a witch hunt at play here. That being said, there was evidence besides the testimony and the beliefs of Dale Griffiths that there was not only occult activity involved in this case based on the perpetrator's beliefs, but there was also evidence that there was a fair amount of occult activity occurring in Crydedon County, which is where West Memphis is located. There's the story of the old Dabs School, which had been found to be decorated with various occult symbols, as well as evidence that rituals of some fashion had taken place there. This school burned down prior to the investigation of the murders taking place. But there were also numerous other sites in and around the area where it was obvious to those who came upon them that something out of the ordinary had taken place there. There was evidence of bonfires, um, animal sacrifice, carcasses of animals were found at these sites. So the idea that the police would begin to suspect some form of cult involvement, particularly after speaking with Damien Eccles and putting him into the category of a person of interest, is not unheard of. And these people in the supporters camp that, you know, like to lambast the fact that the police made a big deal out of the fact that, you know, there may have been occult involvement are the same type that don't believe that these types of groups don't really exist when there is ample factual evidence out there to the contrary. I'm not talking about the nonsense that you see from conspiracy theorists where, you know, the world is secretly run by an occult cabal of evil men who practice 
animal and child sacrifice as well as child sexual abuse in order to gain power and appease their gods. I'm talking about cases where it's demonstrably provable that the perpetrators were involved in either occult or satanic activities and beliefs and that those activities and beliefs influenced their actions in the commission of their crimes. We can look back to cases that predate the West Memphis Three for evidence of that, such as the cult founded by Adolfo Costanza, known as the Narco-Satanists, who committed many murders at the border between Mexico and Texas in the mid to late 1980s. You also had the Beasts of Satan operating out of Milan, Italy. Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker out of Los Angeles. And the Chicago Ripper crew, to name a few. So we do have a historical basis for this and for the police to begin suspecting this just based on the information they had, what they saw at the crime scene, as well as what they were told by the individual who became their top suspect. Now, it's my own personal opinion that the occult aspect of these crimes was really secondary to the main purpose of the crimes, which was to make the two individuals at the center of them, Damian Eccles and Jason Baldwin, feel powerful because these were two disenfranchised young men who felt slighted by society and powerless in their own lives. And I believe that in enacting these killings, it gave them that sense of power of being in control that both of them had craved for so long. And if you do not believe that this is the case, I point to Jason Baldwin, who in his memoir or whatever the hell it was that came out after their release from prison, he talks about going into prison, and on the very first day, this 17-year-old boy targets the biggest, baddest prisoner in the prison and takes him down. If that's not a line of horseshit, I don't know what is, but it gives us an idea about Jason Baldwin and his mindset of he needs to project this idea that he is always in control because I believe inside he feels and understands that he really is not in control, or at least during this period of time in his life, he did not feel that way. And more likely than not, he felt as though he was a victim of circumstance. So enacting these killings, acting them out, taking these three young boys' lives gave the two of them this sense of being in control and of having power over others, something that neither of them had ever had in their lives to date. But we do need to look at some of the significant statements made by Damien Eccles prior to his arrest to the police that further fueled this idea that occult practices were involved in these murders. And again, it's not because I believe that was the main purpose of these 
murders. I think that the occult aspect was secondary and was really more of a way for them to try and strike fear into the community. But it is important to look at these aspects and line them up with the facts of the murders as we know them. Now, in an article written for a magazine that discussed satanic aspects in ritualistic murder, Perpetrators were described as often being, quote, bored, isolated, and withdrawn from their families, often hold their families in terror. Deeply involved in drugs with a history of cruelty to animals, promiscuity, and involvement with a book of shadows. Book of shadows is basically, as I understand it, where these types of individuals put their most private and magic-derived thoughts. He went on to state that individuals of this type often will be involved in blood drinking, fire setting, animal mutilation, all things which we know, at least from his own accounts at the time, Damien Eccles was involved with. Animal mutilation aspect of it was a little difficult to prove, although there is a lot of witness statements from people who came forward saying that Damien was involved in this kind of thing. They had seen him involved in this, and he had also told them that he was involved in this. Oftentimes, they involved dogs, and we do know that at the time of his arrest, Damien Eccles had the skull of a dog in his bedroom, although he never really explained where this skull came came from. One story from a witness describing the skull states that Damien had actually taken the head of an animal that he had found wounded and which he had tortured with a stick, stabbing it in the intestines before cutting its head off in order to get his hands on the skull. Detective Brian Ridge described how he came to the conclusion that there may have been possible occult involvement in these crimes, stating, Several indicators at the crime scene convinced me that it is a cult-related killing, one of these being the fact that there is an overkill. The fact that there was more injuries than was necessary to actually kill the children. There were tortures involved, the removal of the penis. A penis is a symbol of power, according to Damien's own statement. Water is, has satanic symbolism, according to Damien's own statement. Items are very turned threefold. Three is a satanic importance and symbolism crossroads area meaning neither in the middle of a community but not in the extremes of nature it's sort of a neither in the city or out of the city neither public nor completely private cult meeting most cult meetings or rituals are held in deserted isolated areas wooded areas away from people in blood rituals many times parts of the victim are removed possibly eaten or kept for use in the other way the notation being that the penis was not found. The bodies were in the nude. The satanic term for that would be skyclad. Stab wounds. Patterns may have been done for the purpose of bloodletting. Incisions to the sex organs or mutilations, cuts, and bruises. Being a clean sight, satanic or occult symbolism would mean that a clean sight would have been noted. Injury patterns. Most sites would be on private property. This is a private property. It's not public property, not normally traveled. The mutilation. Sex organs will be mutilated or removed. Their victims will be males. Penis or testicles will be removed. The eyes will be gouged. 
these are some notes I've taken from some research I've done in the occult. Now that's taken from Ridge's testimony at the trials. It should be noted that Ridge did state that while he had consulted with Dr. Dale Griffiths, he had not used any of the materials that Griffiths had provided him with as he did not want to taint his investigation and wanted to reach whatever conclusions it was that he was going to come to on his own. And if you're one of those who's hearing this and thinking, yeah, but that, that doesn't prove anything, when Damien gave these statements about the mutilation to the police, this was not public knowledge. He gave the statements about the overkill. This was not public knowledge. This was only the type of thing that the individual responsible for these crimes could have known. And this is why, really, Damien Eccles got himself on the police's radar because he believed that he was smarter than the police and could outsmart them. So now that we have some idea of the kinds of things that were being fed to the police by the general public, as well as an idea of the police's own feelings from the individuals that they were interviewing, we can now prepare ourselves to look at possibly the biggest piece of evidence in this case, we're not going to be diving into it this week, but we are going to be spending the totality of next week looking at the confession of Jesse Miss Kelly Jr., which occurred on June 3rd of 1993. I know already there's going to be a bunch of people up in arms over the fact that we're going over this because... Jesse had the mind of a 12-year-old. He was interrogated for 12 hours and fed all of this information by police and the things he said were not true. That isn't, in fact, the case as we're going to discuss next week when we talk about the confession of Jesse Miss Kelly. He was not interrogated for 12 hours. He does not have the mind of a 12-year-old and... In later confessions, he did, in fact, explain why he gave police misinformation. We're going to call it at this point. I hope you have enjoyed this sixth look at the West Memphis Three. Until next week, the Death Cast is a production of Corpse Creek Publishing in association with Big Pond Podcasts. Stay morbid.